welcome to today's podcast. Tuesday, November 30th. Sorry we weren't here yesterday. First day back after a long weekend. And the podcast will be a little erratic as we go through the holiday season. Some of us using vacation time and the like. But uh, thanks for being here today. Also, yesterday, there was a... There's not a ton to talk about. I even kind of struggled to find content for the radio show, which requires a lot less talking. It was a lot of tree lightings here, holiday events there. Um, Nothing that we have to have strong opinions about because Alex and I and everybody else both kind of laid low with the exception of my Wednesday night party last week, which was a blast. Uh, A couple of things going on today that I want to share some thoughts on. We'll keep it brief here on the monologue, and then we'll get to a very mean and nasty person. Air quotes for that. This mean and nasty person asked to come on the podcast. It'll make some sense when I introduce who he is in just a uh, couple of minutes. We had, I think, four regional area Vax to school Winners, uh, two pretty local. One was a, a UT student, uh, Midori Ayers, and then an Alex Vargos, I believe, is a Rossford uh, student. They both won ten thousand dollars to go towards their education. And I know kids say the darndest things is like a way old like YouTube thing from years ago or however long ago. But kids still kids still say things that. So, uh, a couple of quotes in the story that Roxanne Elias did with uh, th- those two winners at WTOL.com. Uh, one kid said, yeah, I wanted to go for it. That's a wad of cash. And the other one said, who is a, uh, I think it was Midori. I think Midori said, I'm a, I'm a they're taking a chemical engineering at UT, which is a, a cushy major. I would not associate the word cushy with chemical engineering, perhaps like engineering in the kitchen, as in like making food, but very cool. That uh, that goes through this week. Um, lots of winners each day in the deadline to enroll kids in. That is tomorrow. I'm boosted. We got uh, we got Omicron now, as I said months ago. I'm tired of hearing of Greek. I'm tired of learning more about the Greek alphabet, but here we go again. Um, some other things of note. There is a uh, there's a second location of a store that we should all have in our rotation opening up in a place I'm unfamiliar with in Perrysburg. Um, let me find the address. No, I closed. Uh, Carinade Drive, the former site of a Kroger store that closed in 2016 in Perrysburg. I'm guessing that's that's the location that closed so that we could have the marketplace on Route 20. But... Discount chain, they sell clothing, housewares, and accessories. And it's legit stuff, too, like brands we're familiar with. KitchenAid, DKNY, Nike. So, athleisure, activewear, good place. You're thinking, oh, we're getting like another home goods, another TJ Maxx. We're getting a second Gabe's. What's Gabe's? You know, it's the store you, you completely ignore. Like it's the unattractive person, food object because you pass it so many times each year, each month, maybe even each week, because there's a Gabe's location um, 100 feet from where Target on Monroe is. But we look at it like it's just the ugly, deformed stepchild because 
hey, look, it's not in my rotation either because it, it certainly fits in with the TJ Maxx's and the home goods of the world. Maybe one day we'll get a Ross, which is just like those spots. But the center of the universe, gravity, the force of gravity, the gravitational pull that Target has on us and our debit card when we go to that location on Monroe Street yeah, I can understand why you might not have set foot. I, I literally do not know a human being who has ever mentioned anything about Gabe's. But now there'll be a second location. So enjoy that. Um, Teddy Bear Toss was extremely successful at a recent walleye game. They collected for, I believe, Lucas County Children's Services, kids in need, 4,506, 4,506, which it looks like was third all time. We're in the top three for the walleye's annual teddy bear toss. One more thing. Um, Even non-students who have to go to UT for things, and I bring this up, like, I bring this up twice a year, um, which is about the amount of times I have to go to UT for something. I'm always careful to ask for, do I have a parking pass? Because I've gotten dinged before with parking tickets at UT because I thought I was okay, or there was a number off my license plate. No, they can't retroactively make it okay. Like, I don't ever want to use the N-word that ends in A-Z-I-S. But uh, the UT parking people and that whole thing is wild and in many ways unfair. Some kids were protesting it, not not many of them, like 15 or 20 of them, were protesting the parking issues at UT. Um, just a couple of days ago, this story was in the Blade. And they, they should because there were parking issues long before they destroyed those two garages as kids were coming back. I've never known for there to not be parking issues. Um, one of the quotes in the story said something about, we understand that the, there's challenges, especially with the garages being gone, and people will just have to become, be, become accustomed to not parking in front of the building where they have to go into. That's not exactly a great benefit. Uh, that UT can offer people. Like, as you see, we have winter. And if I have to park three football fields away from where I have to go into a nice warm building, that sucks. I know they have the scooters on campus and whatnot. Uh, The parking spokesperson for UT also said they were unaware of any of the main challenges the students had issues with. What? Like, if you lived in this area and you go to UT once a year, you know that parking is a pain in the ass. Can you imagine having to do that every day And those kids pay for it. Uh, Like I said, I wouldn't use the N word, but it is, it is, it is a racket. Like, like I always, like I've said for years now, if um, you're okay sliding your soul aside and you want to make some money, open a university or a hospital or be a highly skilled college football head coach as those musical chairs spun last night. And although one of them um, might involve former beloved UT head football coach Matt Campbell, who has had a ton of success, relatively speaking, um, at Iowa State, but I guess he he might be interested in coming back this way to Indiana to coach Notre Dame, who lost their coach, who went to LSU. And... um, it would be nice to see Matt Campbell. Uh, I know people speak so highly of him here where we live. Um, it's something when, like, so uh, BG's head football coach from years ago, like seven, eight years ago, Dave Clawson. He, was like, he was like several BG coaches ago. 
Um, when BG was having some success, Wake Forest, I believe, is where Dave Clawson went. Yeah. And uh, Dave Clawson has had some pretty good success at uh, at a university that has not had a lot of athletic success. I think Wake Forest was like a top 25 team for most of the year this year. Nobody says a thing about Dave Clawson. But it's not hard to find a place here where we live in our community where people want to have kind and um, praiseworthy things to say about Matt Campbell. All right, the other thing. Um, I'm, not, I, I'm not demoralized by it. Um, but there's a lot going on. The, 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 the virus is ramping back up. There's a new variant. The Moderna people just said, we don't know if our vaccine um, will be able to manage this variant because of all this spike protein mutations. Um, just general things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis that we can't seem to find uh, salves for. But today, this morning, I spent um, like 75 minutes with a podcast by Ezra Klein. Um, I believe he does his podcast for the New York Times. He had on a guest talking about um, policing for all intents and purposes and how we make it better, how we augment it, how we reimagine it. And this guy really knows his stuff. Um, Cited lots of studies all over the place. Um, So there's real data there. And it was extremely informative. And without monologuing too much further here, so, so we can get to our guest. And I've shared this. I've tweeted this out. Um, as Alex and I and others have said all along, the ideas that the city seems to be on the precipice of implementing by reinvesting in neighborhoods and community infrastructures and youth programs. And it's got to go beyond that. Like if you listen to this podcast, um, getting mental health aid and social workers into neighborhoods instead of brute police force. Um, things that, are you know, are not foreign to this podcast, topics we've discussed. So, and they also talked about on the podcast how here's the Build Back Better and we're getting that $180 million and we heard how mayor and other people want to spend that money and um, what the mayor and his staff said was echoed on this podcast. So the ideas are, are in place. But just as uh, there is some doubt with this expert on the Ezra Klein podcast, you know, I, I share it as well. The ideas are right. We don't have enough data whether or not violence interrupters work. But it seems to be a sound idea to attempt as opposed to the alternative that we've been doing for so long. And over-incarcerating and over-arresting. Um, but I just wonder, even if we do so many of these things... How many years, how many decades, how many centuries might it take to undo some of the things that sadly have become tried and true and maybe far too punitive for the entire duration of this country's life? I mean, if you really listen to this podcast and if you read certain things, like we have done certain things all along, and over the years we've realized that they actually have a negative impact on society, but in the short term, they're what a lot of people want. The optics are good, but the long term is not great and erodes things in society. Now, I didn't even think about this. They they mentioned in, in the podcast one of the things that, one of the ways we insulated ourselves in previous decades was gated communities. I never thought of the, the aspect of, 
or feeling that has on people who are not in those gated communities. Um, some people in those communities are used to be used to be used to being put behind gates and bars. Now gates are put up in many ways to keep them completely separated. One might say segregated. Just a for me a totally benign thought. You live in a nice neighborhood, you gate it just as sheer architectural beauty, not the optics of keeping others who aren't like us out. How long will it take to unwire seemingly benign thoughts like that, even if we can successfully implement all these programs to rebuild neighborhoods, communities, and young people so they they don't turn into lost lives when they're double their age, which is 7 to 14, 14 to 28. How long will it take to unwire some of these things in our culture, which these things have been so embedded in for, again, centuries? A century, uh, a little over a century, maybe like 150 years old. That's how old that story is. You're familiar with it? A Christmas Carol. Scrooge, Paul Cosman, was on the show a couple of years ago, wanted to come back because A Christmas Carol is back, and they want to invite you to the run of the show. Here's Paul Cosman. Paul, it's great to see you again. It's wonderful to be here. Wonderful to see you again. Um, the, I hope you recognize the irony as well of uh, two Jewish people <laughs> yeah. during Hanukkah talking about A Christmas Carol. Yes. Yes, uh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, the story is very universal. I think of the story actually as, a, uh, you know, it's about redemption. I think of it actually as a very Jewish story, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, it is all about redemption and about learning the important things in life that uh, we as Jews may have different names for, like mm-hmm. tzedakah and gemelot chassidim and things like that. For, but whereas the... Uh, uh, you know, the rest of the community still sees them as charity and taking care of one another and those same things. One of my questions, and I, I prepped for this because it's amazing. Do you know if you, if, you, if you look you up, there's a lot out there on the Internet? Nothing bad. <laughs> but I pulled some quotes that maybe you'll forgot you even said. But one, oh, of, <laughs> one, of, the, the, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you was... Um, Scrooge and Dickens and A Christmas Carol is an indelible an indelible part of of pop culture. It has been for maybe nearly 140 some years now. Right. My math I needed math for that. There you go. Um, <laughs> and sometimes we just think of like, well Scrooge is the old nasty guy. Right. And maybe some people think about the ghosts a little bit, but there is something beyond that. Like Charles Dickens wrote this with meaning behind it and it, it's it's all about redemption. Right, yeah, it's about redemption and learning uh, the important things in life. Um, you know, Scrooge. Uh, Scrooge doesn't think of himself as a bad guy. Scrooge is a survivor, and yeah. uh, he's doing what it takes to uh, to stay alive, as it were, to you know make it th- make it way his way through life. Uh, unfortunately, what he doesn't seem to realize is that the, the the things that he goes for are temporal things that they they don't really matter in the long run, and that he's missing out on the things that really do, like family and people and taking care of one another. Dickens is wonderful because he messes with us all the t- all throughout the story with time. You know, you're suddenly in the past, and then you're in the present, your future. He actually will will take you in th- in past, present, and future in one sentence. He'll he'll 
screw around with you that way. It's incredible writing. It's it's absolutely beautiful. But we think of him as just kind of the iconic bad guy, the Scrooge. Bah humbug. <laughs> bah humbug. Right. But actually, there's a whole lot more to him than that. You know, it, it's interesting as you describe who he is. And now that I think back, I, I've seen so many variations of of Christmas Carol, the, the Patrick Stewart, Stewart version. Right. When he was going through his peak of Star Trek, always appealed to me. And Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, I grew up as a kid with Scrooge McDuck and, and <laughs> DuckTales has come back around but it's been twisted and and portrayed in so many different ways and and the now thinking back to the crux of it is it's an old guy who kind of overlooks things and to be quite honest with you and i know you know a little bit about me with this regard um i have sought out some new therapy so that i don't turn into that because i don't have close family here by blood anyway right and it just it reminds me to reaffirm my purpose to my friends in the Jewish community, right? mental health advocacy, and right. you can make things important to you if you just open your eyes a little bit outside of maybe what life or the internet tells you that you should be liking. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, that's putting it very, very eloquently. I, I would like to like get a copy of that. Please. By all means. <laughs> by all means, it'll be on Amazon by the end of the year, 1999. <laughs> I think it's very true. I'm like you, as I have, I don't have family in the area and whatnot. And in many ways, uh, you know, it, it, this is, this is, you know, this is funny too. I mean, you know, we're talking about being Jewish, but this is uh, uh, a chance to get together every year. Um, this is my Nineteenth year doing Scrooge. And Are then, you sure? Did yes. you lose track? I might have. I might have. I think this. I started in two thousand three doing Scrooge. I was going to ask you if, you if it was your twenty or twenty first, but you've been doing it a long time. For a like long time. Almost half the life of this of this presentation. Right, and there are people. I, I mean, and and I was directing it in the eighties when the rep first started doing the production. So there are people on that stage who have grown up. Some of them have had children, and their children are in the show. And it's a wonderful reunion um, every year to get back together. As a matter of fact, the fellow who's playing Bob Cratchit this year, we ha- we've not, first of all, we've moved back to the 10th Street Theater for this year. On, at the Rep, right? At the Rep, at the Rep, for the first time in 30 years. What was behind that decision? Uh, covid Mm. Yeah, and we really needed to make a decision about where we were going to be back in March, and other places simply weren't ready to make those decisions yet, so we had to. So we went back to the—going back to the rep, I love it. It's 180 seats. It's intimate. It's, uh, you know, you're up close to the audience. I can feel the audience, and the audience gets a good look at us. You know, you uh, can't—they can see just about everything, including the mistakes, you know. But it's uh, it's really nice to work in that kind of a— environment. But anyway, so 30 years ago, or more actually, um, when I was directing it, the young fellow who played Tiny Tim for three years uh, and did the last of the shows at the Toledo Rep this first round, he is actually now with the production this year, first time back at the Rep as Bob Cratchit. So it truly is uh, like a family. And so for me, it's a, a, an important thing to go back to this every year and uh, revisit those those feelings, have the reunions with the people that uh, you know I care about, and also meet new people every year. How have... What initially drew you to the role? What was... I, one of the things I couldn't find on the internet was your performance background. How'd you get into all of this? And what drew you to this role specifically that you've been doing for a long time now? 
Uh, well, I um, came to D- Toledo as the uh, artistic director of the Toledo Rep Theater. And so directing it, you know, I really gained uh, an appreciation for the play and for the book, the novella. And uh, so when um, I actually cast Jim Roods in it, he was, uh, you, pro- you might not know him, but he was a, uh, an actor in town, and he was also on um, a, re- a television station um, for many, many years. And I cast him in the role of Scrooge. And when he did it for 13 or 14 years, and when he retired, they asked me if I would do it. And I said, yes, because uh, it had all, the, the idea of doing the show, uh, doing that role, had always intrigued me. I did it once very briefly um, when the fellow who couldn't do it before Jim Roods, well, he a- a- actually ended up in the hospital one time and so I went on stage for him and I was only oh gosh I was less than 30 years old so it was kind of ridiculous but <laughs> but somebody had to do it and so I gave it a shot and you know from that day it was like this is something I want to do and the advantage to me one of the is that one of the really unique things about doing Scrooge in this kind of a uh, arrangement is that is as an actor we don't get to go back to roles. We do them, and then they're gone. They're forgotten. I lay my head down on the pillow when the production is over, and the words drain out of my head. I mean, I, that's it. To do a show over and over and a character over and over again, particularly over a, a, a span of a couple of decades, every time I go back to that role, I'm a different person. I mean, I'm not the same person I was five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. And so I find new things in it every time. That's something that you just don't get to do as an actor. And it's really exciting. It really gives you a different perspective. I wanted to ask you that. And uh, I think that was one of your, your quotes from what I dug up from like six or seven years ago. Every time you revisit a role, you bring new exp- new experiences with you. It's like every time you read a classic novel, it gets better because you're coming back to it as a product of your time. <sighs> the, the, that probably, that quote, do you remember that from six or seven years ago? Yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't make it up. I swear. That sounds like me. Yeah, um, it it's particularly uh, an exclamation point, bringing new experiences to something because we've all been through different variations of hell over the last twenty to twenty one months. We have. We all might wind up being Scrooge when this is all said and done. <laughs> um, what from your life over the last twenty months have you brought to this year's portrayal of the character? Um, you know, I have never in my life had the feeling of isolation like I have had in this last period. Uh, we started working from home. I thought I would like it. I did not. I always uh, say that I'm far too social of a being for all of this social distancing. Uh, it, uh, it, was, it was really hard on me. And so, you know, I'm actually able to draw on some of that because that's a whole new perspective to me, that feeling of isolation that I didn't really realize Scrooge had. And so I can come to it with a, a degree of honesty that I couldn't have possibly done in the past. Having done it for so long, for a couple of different decades, and as you mentioned, uh, younger members of people's families are coming into the into the uh, uh, into the musical now, or I'm sorry, into the production. Is it difficult for you to get? Because you're a performer, 
Mm-hmm. Chemistry is so important. Like I talk about like workplace chemistry on air chemistry, like you have it and it can often overcome talent deficiencies. You've been doing this for so long. You try to change things a little bit here and there year after year. Mm-hmm. Some people have been there quite a long time. What's it like to build new chemistry with people who step into and roll for the first time? You know, I, I, I gather you never get frustrated or Scrooge like with them, but could you talk about building chemistry with uh, co-performers? Well, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. Um, I guess uh, <laughs> in that uh, I tend to like people just right off of the bat um, and uh, you know people st- people always start with me on the positive side you know and then they have to prove to me that they're that they're not somebody I want to know so usually uh, it's not very difficult for me at all I like to get to know the person a little bit uh, find out some of their interests develop a little bit of that chemistry with them and then you know play w- uh, for a while at rehearsals you know play is incredibly important at rehearsals if you're all you know because people have to open up they've got actors are are incredibly vulnerable i mean let's face it they're the most important part of the show because you can do anything as long as you've got an actor but you can do nothing unless you have one in the theater so i mean if you all you've got is a phone book you can and if you've got a great actor they'll make it sound interesting you know so but they're vulnerable because of what they're doing and um it's a bit dangerous which is part of what makes it fun and so you get to know them and you get to find out their interests, you play a little bit, and develop uh, some bonding with the person, and then you, you go. It's, and it's, you know, honestly, it's strange, it's an intimacy that if I can use that word in this situation, because it has so many other connotations, which I'm not in, in, implying at all, but there's an intimacy in that kind of working with a person um, and hopefully dealing with things very honestly between the two of you that you would maybe never deal with in real life with somebody else. I want to ask you to describe what you mean by intimacy because that's another thing that I talk about with my therapist, my inability to be intimate with certain things, and, and that's just like beyond relationships. I will ask you to describe what you mean by vulnerable. Do you mean just people afraid of messing up? Yeah, people can be very afraid of messing up. You're also exposed. You know, if you're doing something that's, uh, you know, particularly personal and you're being as honest with it as you can be as an actor, you have the uh, protection of being a character. But that vulnerability or that exposure, I guess I should say, is still there. And um, let's face it, we all want to be liked, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not, then the part of you that's been exposed is not been validated and you can feel pretty bad about it. So that's why it's a little dangerous and why it's a little fun. (laughs) Do you ever pass along, because I'm sure you've figured this out or you've been... I remember when I started to get more into into public speaking, even and this is even after years of doing radio, people don't the audience, the people don't know you screw up. Um, right. As long as you don't harp on it or anything, where it's not something completely egregious, right? Uh, they never know. So do the do your your castmates when they make a mistake. You're past that kind of insight along to them because I'm sure people will walk out of a show that you guys might grade very poorly. We're like, tonight was a C plus effort, everybody. We got to step it up, right. and, and the crowd might have loved it. Right, right. Well, sure. I mean, you know, you. I mean, actors know that, and you know, you have to make a pretty big mistake for uh, the 
audience to actually know, you know. So as long as you've checked everything that you 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 need when you start and you've got it and you go, you're probably going to do okay, yeah, in that regard. But it's a personal thing, and that is you want to be your personal best every single time you go We're out We're hard there. on ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, people say, well, it should be fun, and it is fun to do that, but, you know, the real joy in it comes from everybody working together as a team and doing a really good great performance you know and that now i screw up all the time i mean you know you can't you can't help but it but do that you're human but you know you still have to just you know you've got to keep going you got to keep your eye on the ball you got to keep focused and uh you know and giving a good performance and making a meaningful experience for your audience is what you really want to do and that's where the joy comes in for for everyone is uh, involved in the show um we're talking about christmas carol um december 2nd through the 12th you can get all the information that you need toledorep.org or use google like everyone else but uh please go see the show as it's back live again this year you mentioned there's a streaming option as well yes there is um how do you get ready for your shows because this is night after night after night after night how do you get ready for this I, both in in the long term like well we're now a couple of days away but like a month ago how are you getting ready and in the days that come ahead next week this week how do you get ready for the show Right. Well, I mean, you start and you start with rehearsals and you start with very basic things like I go to this part of the stage or I go to that part of the stage and I say this line and, you know, you do with the very basics. And then you start to work the scenes. You know, once you get away from the script itself, get the script out of the hands and whatnot, and you can begin to look each other in the eye and can begin to explore, you know, all the different things that are going on between the characters that are speaking, then that's when the real fun starts to happen. And that's when you can really um that's when you can really work on a part not i wanted to know like do you get do you park in a certain spot when you get there do you have a certain meal like a routine because like, we're performers and even if people listening right now like don't understand that you too are a performer because you go into work every day and you perform something and we get into right. our routines so we can put ourselves in the best position to succeed. So like any like quirky things, same type of underwear all the time, have to go through the same door, just little things like that because we are quirky, creative people. Well, and it's interesting that you should say that because the theater is uh, more than quirky. It's full of superstitions. There's all, break a leg! Break a leg, and you can't say you know the name of the Scottish play in the theater. Can't whistle in the theater. I don't know if you're aware of that one. Never have a Bible on the stage. It's, it's just full of, you know, even when it's supposed to be a Bible, it's got to be a book, a book that looks like one or has a book. So, you know, I mean, all these kind of goofy kinds of superstitions and whatnot. Um, my, what I do is really boring. I mean, it, I have nothing that's interesting at all, nothing crazy that I do. I have to make something up, but <laughs> I would have to make something up. Really what I do is I go and I sit down at my uh, makeup uh, table. I sit down in front of the makeup mirror and uh, I just try to relax for a little bit and then I start putting on my makeup. And when that's all done, the dresser puts, you know, helps with a costume or whatever. And then I usually just go backstage or someplace where it's nice and quiet and just sit and wait. Are you emotionally exhausted after the show? The run of the show is over. Well, if I'm doing my job, I am. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your What's your favorite part of the show that maybe isn't necessarily even Scrooge centric? 
Yeah, my favorite part of the show, I would have to say, doesn't even have me in it. And that's the dances and the choral numbers and the songs, because I love to hear them every year. And uh, they're beautiful. And it's it's nice. It also gives me a chance to <gasps> catch my breath and rest yeah. for a second. <laughs> um, which of the... Th- so it's Ghost of Christmas Past present and future right and marley who visits first the ghost of jacob marley his partner analytically speaking scientifically speaking which one is the most productive towards getting screwed into a better place <laughs> well the one that does it that finally gets it, the job done i suppose is uh, future you know i mean that's the one that's really hard because that's where he deals with his mortality mm-hmm. and when he sees what he's done and what you know the consequences that his actions have had um, and he you know he he's desperate absolutely desperate to somehow make amends to somehow change the shadows that he's been shown of the future and so <laughs> Chris, <laughs> christmas future generally gets the job done in a big way um tell me about the stage director Beth- Betsy Lackey. Betsy's wonderful. Yeah, this is her. Actually, it's her third year. Now, last year we did a 35th anniversary DVD, um, but uh, this is would be her third year. Uh, she is a uh, uh, she's a wonderful director. She's from uh, actually done a lot of shows up at Adrian. Uh, her husband Michael Lackey is a actor, um, and uh, you know they've come back to Adrian, and we're very lucky to have her. She's worked in a lot of different places, and you know we're we're very happy to very lucky to have her at the helm. She had some uh, some words about you. She particularly enjoys the scenes where Scrooge is caught in the act of being miserly. I love every time the play catches him in something mean or crotchety that he's done, and you see him think, "Uh oh, wait a minute." I love the way Paul reacts to those. <laughs> I didn't know she said that. <laughs> uh, what is what is she? What is she, does she mean anything particular when she means something mean or crotchety? Because it's the general nature of the character. They're like little quirks or ticks that you've brought to it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole first scene with him with Bob Cratchit in the in the uh, counting house is kind of uh, establishes his relationship with Bob Cratchit and establishes the fact that he is mean and crotchety and, you know, those those elements. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think of myself that way, and I suppose Scrooge doesn't think of himself that way, but sometimes it's really fun to play it. <laughs> and yeah. I think maybe that's what she's referring it's to. A, it's a great point about human beings. Right. We have one perspective of who and who we are and how we think we come across. Right. And then everybody else has their way of right. how we come across to them. Right. You know, I love the villains. I really do. I love playing the villains. I've played a lot of, of villains, you know, and uh, and they're great. They really are. They're more complicated and complex. They're very complicated. I, I yeah. think you know me a little bit. I love my superhero stuff. Right. And they've all been through somebody's mom died, somebody's dad died, my planet blew up. But the villains are the really, truly complicated ones. Right. Exactly. What Ex- villains have you, uh, other than Scrooge, have you played? Well, I mean, I played, uh, for instance, the uh, uh, the antagonist, the bad guy in Antony and Cleopatra, uh, which is uh, uh, the Shakespeare play. Uh, his name is Octavian, became Augustus Caesar. He's a pretty bad guy in that one. And I've played some other bad guys uh, in various plays. I played uh, 
Julian in Death Trap. He's a murderer. That's a bad guy. But what what made him become a murderer? And I mean that totally seriously. Right. I'm fascinated by like how people come to these horrific decisions. And if you walk back a little bit, you too might have been like that person in the same circumstances. Right. I mean, in his case, uh, he's an author and he wrote murder mysteries. And so he's at the end of his career and he's in a very, it's a horrible, humiliating kind of position that he finds himself in. He just can't write anymore. He's People don't care about him anymore. He seems to be cliched. He's lived his life uh, uh, because of everything that he's done as a writer, he's managed to uh, be uh, very closeted uh, as a homosexual, and uh, it's worked all kinds of really bad things on his psyche. And uh, you know, he need, desperately needs money, and uh, so he goes after. Now he's sociopathic, so it's a little bit different, you know, in the fact that he probably doesn't really you know, hold the same sense of what's good and what's bad as most of the rest of us. But he's very justified in his own mind is what he's doing. Yeah. So, but they're fun to play. Yes. You know, because you've got to figure out all of of that background and whatnot. They're just great. Um, Last couple of minutes here, I don't want to keep you up too much longer. How how much longer are you going to play Scrooge? Are you going to go for 30 years? Oh, gosh. (laughs) No. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I no, I don't. I'm just now. I'm 64, so I'm starting to get into his actual his age. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'll probably play it for a couple more years and kind of enjoy it at this stage of my life. You know, um, for those that don't know, all th- I, I think I put it in the beginning monologue here. We know each other a little bit through the Jewish Federation. What's your day job besides uh, <laughs> the night job is being Scrooge and playing murderers and villains. Right. The day job. Yeah, I'm marketing director at the Jewish Federation of Greater Toledo. All, for all 2,200 or so of us, right? Well, all, all 2,200 or so of us, yes. The uh, <laughs> I saw uh, I saw the Chabad House do something. Was that at the mall the other day? Yeah, every year they have their first night of Hanukkah. They light a big menorah. And uh, this year, I guess they had a gelt drop. I wasn't there, so I, I don't know how it worked. But yeah, they do. If you ever question... The special nature of who we are, the chosen people, whatever you want to throw at us. The mayor wore jeans and sneakers the other day. That is great power that we have. Now he's a good guy, and I he is was glad that he, he really came out is. to that. And yeah. the Chabad House of all the things that I've been a part of with the, uh, Jewish Toledo over the last handful of years, the Chabad House and what they do at the mall uh-huh. for year after year after year has always been a, a pretty neat signature event that I recall and. Uh, it's always neat when we have Hanukkah before, uh, right after Thanksgiving, too. Right, right. You got bar mitzvah, right? No, I was never bar mitzvah. Really? Really. What's your earliest <laughs> Jewish boy memory? Uh, well, I, I came from a very strange upbringing, actually, in that regard. My, f- my first Jewish memory was as a little boy at Eli's Deli. And um, eating. Where was this at? This was in Akron. Okay. And uh, it was called Regency Wines, and he uh, had a deli there, and was, uh, you know, it was a. My first memories of uh, Jewish life were cultural. My memories were of, you know, egg bagels and mm. uh, and corned beef. Mm. <laughs> You know, we have we have a pretty good food scene here, but we do not have a Jewish deli where right. there is like 
Carnegie-sized meat in between two very small pieces of bread, where yeah. even after they give you a knife and fork, you still need a box to take it home. And I'm totally fine paying $15 for that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's a wonderful thing. You get two meals out of it, so it's not really that expensive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. speaking of Chabad, when I'm in... Uh, uh, was in New York. I uh, would go to the deli that's right near Chabad Manhattan's about Midtown. Ooh, so good. Like I, mean, I said, the it's sandwiches the sandwiches are this thick. Yeah. It's like you need a knife and fork. We we don't have one here. Uh, a couple places try, but it's just not like the Jewish deli that we're 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 speaking about now. Right. Although we can just drive right up the road to Detroit, and there's tons of spots up there to grab. Right. What's your favorite restaurant here to eat at? Oh, in Toledo? I've got so many restaurants in Toledo that I love. Hit me. Oh, really? We love talking about food. We, oh, like gosh. We'll sit here and we'll do lots of social justice stuff and advocate for people. And then we're like, tell me if you like candy corn. We, <laughs> I love doing this podcast. You know, as you now can tell, like... It's, I'm, I was disappointed that the morning, the, the new morning show didn't work out for COVID things and otherwise, but it's great to be on in the afternoon, play some music, which is happening right now, but also have be able to have this breadth of conversations. Mm-hmm. And as you've probably seen how, how podcasts have exploded and just life has changed so much in the last yeah. couple of years. But yeah. it's great to sit here and that we can hop from Scrooge to corned beef to your favorite <laughs> restaurants here. What are they? Well, I have so many. I mean, it, I, I eat at so many. Uh, there's uh, I love Giorgio's downtown. It's it's great uh, for uh, dining and that. Uh, and they have some wonderful Greek food and whatnot. The mother there makes the pastizio. And I, I consider myself uh, pretty good at making pastizio. And I have to say, she just kicks me right out of the water. She's so good. Um, you know, I love that. Uh, if it's pies, I want I want schmuckers. Yep. Uh, you know, you can't beat that. Um, so there's a, a, a. I love Indian food. So I love tandoor and I love jewel. Um, go to those. Uh, if, you know, during <laughs> all the way through. Um, uh, the pandemic we've done when we were doing carry out all the time. It was Fortune Inn over here for Chinese and then Tandoor for for Indian. And we would go kind of back and forth and back and forth. But gosh, there's so many good places to eat. Mm-hmm. How about uh, what's your spot for pizza? Well, pizza. OK, so I never had pizza until I grew up. So I've found that pizza is very um, site specific. Mm-hmm. You know, if you grew up with it, that's your favorite pizza. Yeah. But my favorite pizzas in this area um, is certainly because um, I went to school at BGSU. Is certainly Pizzanello's, and then also I like Inky's. I think Inky's is really unusual, particularly that one with the meatballs and whatnot. So I like uh, Inky's a lot, and. Uh, um, there's uh, uh, Charlie's, which is uh, right there across from the uh, Jewish campus, JCC, the YMCA, that makes really good pizza. I've never never heard of Charlie's. It's I'll put it on my list. Absolutely. I mean, it's great. And it's Inky's wonderful is stuff. one of like, I'll call it like old world Toledo, old Toledo. It is. I've, I've never been to it. I've heard great things about it beyond just the pizza. 
Well, see, Inky's is like a place that I used to go to with my dad as a little boy called Guerreri's in Akron. And so when I came here and somebody said, who was from Toledo, who lived over in that area, said, go to Inky's, I went, this is exactly like this. It hasn't changed, you know, in all these, in decades. And the food is just excellent. But, you know, if you grew up in that neighborhood, there's no other place to go. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about living here? Um, well... I love all the different neighborhoods, you know. Which really favorite do. neighborhood? I love, uh, I spent 28 years in the Old West End. I mean, I really, that was wonderful. Uh, and uh, the people there are incredible, taking care of the houses and the properties and whatnot. And I uh, could always walk over to the museum mm-hmm. very easily. So, I, you know, I really like the Old West End a lot. I'm very fond of um, Hungarian food. So there's a little Hungarian market that's over on the east side, um, uh, up near uh, Tony Paco's and whatnot, and I'm particularly fond of going over there. Um, I like uh, Stanley's uh, Market and uh, uh, the Polish area in town, um, I think, is is really fun. It's gotten a lot of changes there on LaGrange uh, over the years and whatnot, but... uh, Nothing beats that Polish festival in my mind. <laughs> like, there's there's the gaff, uh, which is like the granddaddy of everything. I call it the little gaff, the Greek festival. Right. And then we have a lot of ones that are mixed in and out, but the Polish one is a can't miss. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It really yeah. is good. Um, what else? What else? What else do I want to ask you? Favorite Metro Park or the one that you uh, go to most? Okay, I that's a that's great. Um, I go to Seacolor a lot to walk. I go to Oak Openings. Actually, I ride my bike. I take it to um, uh, down in Maumee, the uh, um, the monument there. Well, I can't take the Fallen Fallen Timbers mm-hmm. Monument, and then I'll ride the uh, Wabash Trail out to Oak Openings and go around Oak Openings. I absolutely love Oak Openings. I just think it's great. You've been here how long now? Since 1986. Okay. Things have changed a lot in the last 10 years. It's like I showed up and everything started blowing up. Um, everything everything <laughs> fi- was it started getting good. Yeah. Not good, <laughs> but like I was very fortunate to get here in 2013 and like downtown started sprouting up around me so much so that I'm like, I'm out of here. I did my downtown life. <laughs> what do you like about uh, the direction that Toledo and the area is headed in? Well, I love that the, there's a this burgeoning arts community, blossoming arts community in Toledo. And I love the downtown. I love all the restaurants. I love being down there on a Friday night and there's people walking around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, down, what is that, St. Clair Street? Mm-hmm. That's where um, I used to live. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And I, I love that. that I love uh, Uptown, Man, uh, Manhattan's, Wesley's, uh, places uh, in uh, along Adams Street there and the fun way the street's blocked off. I mean, I I really think that the, the downtown is is. Yeah, it's becoming really exciting. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Do you get a little crazy during zombie crawl? <laughs> <laughs> You're mentioning uptown and everything on Adams and blocking off streets. There's Paul stumbling. There's there's zombie Scrooge stumbling you, through. You don't have to wait for the zombie walk no, to see me doing right, that. Right, right. Um, let, one last thing, I guess. You mentioned um, the arts community, and it's not such a diamond in the rough or... You don't have to look for it as hard anymore, but I had said as I got here, like obviously the, t- the, the museum is great, but if you spread beyond that a little bit, mm-hmm. there was a a really vibrant 
and very talented art scene. And mm-hmm. I throw that I throw that that art blanket over everything. We've got tons of murals everywhere, and that's kind of opened people's eyes up to the to the art we have. We've mm-hmm. got the the river wall, but I mean about as far as like musicals and performances. Like mm-hmm. most of my friends are, I, I'm I'm assuming a good portion of my friends are very upset at uh, Sondheim's passing over the weekend. And I'm glad that maybe it's the murals or whatever else, but people finally recognize that we have a really vibrant and large art scene here outside of just local music and the art museum. Right. Well, when I was uh, started here in Toledo in 86, as far as theater was concerned, uh, there may have been a couple of suburban theaters that were starting out, but Truly, there was really just the Toledo Rep and the Village Players. And since then, a lot of smaller theater companies have have come up. And it's great because uh, people get an opportunity. I mean, when you've only got two theaters, there's only so much that's available in terms of the artists, you know, what they can do, the actors and set designers, lighting designers and painters and all of the people who are involved because it's very collaborative art. But there's still only so much that's available. Well, if the more theaters that are available, the more chances you have of getting some experience and, uh, you know, developing your craft or your art. And it's wonderful. And the more chances that people will come see it. Yeah. So it, it was kind of weird to see a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I have a lot of friends at TSA. You know Dave Gerke, right? I know that. I don't know him personally. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a lot of friends over at TSA, so I'm always happy to promote what they're doing. And I, I, I was kind of, I was confused a couple of times, like as we had a swarm of performances coming back, I was trying to figure out, is that in Toledo or is that at the Croswell? And TSA, their kids did Anastasia at Owens. And then I had mentioned on the air, I was like, I know people were interested in seeing that. But if you missed it at Owens, I think it was it was at the Croswell not that much later, right? Right, yeah. So, so many places now to be a part of and enjoy the arts here. Right, exactly. And that's good for us. Yeah. That's good for Toledo. I mean, we have larger and larger audiences, and that means more people supporting the arts, more people enjoying them, and more opportunity for the artists. So that's a really good thing. <laughs> Paul Cosman, Scrooge, marketer, uh, marketing director for my friends at the Jewish Federation uh, at the rep, ToledoRep.org. All this will be in the post for the podcast, but it's December 2nd through the 12th. I would say break a leg, but that sounds so cliche. <laughs> be mean to some people. Okay. All right, perfect. No problem. Paul, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. It's great to see you again. Really appreciate it.